You are listening to a Hippily Horror Stories Patreon bonus preview. If you like what you're hearing, stick around to the end to find out how you can get more. Hey guys, welcome to episode 1062. See how I said 1062 instead of 1062? I realize <laughs> it's a lot less syllables and it sounds better. Oh, well, there you go. So episode 1062 of Hillbilly Shorts. Hey guys. This week, I thought we would start off again. You know how I love these lists. Mm-hmm. I don't know if everybody, if you don't like the list, let me know. Yeah, definitely. But... I really hadn't had any complaints out of them yet so far, so I'm just assuming people are okay with them. So I'm sure it's one of those deals where as long as we don't do too many of them in a row, because I try to mix stuff up. But we had a lot of good good uh, compliments on the Thanksgiving screw-ups people liked. Yeah. <laughs> Your hair is really out of whack right now. I know, man. It's like, it is out of whack. <laughs> That's where you were down on the couch sleeping. I know. You got up and you got bedhead at 8 o'clock at night. couch head. <laughs> That's what happens when you don't sleep at night <laughs> sometimes. All right. So, I thought this list here popped up in my... I get these emails all the time from this. But this one popped up and I thought it was really cool. It says, 10 spooky court cases involving ghosts. Oh, and I know one you of them. You wouldn't think that would be a thing, but it is. Well, I guarantee one of them is going right. to be the devil made me do it case. Uh-huh. That's probably the most famous. There's a bunch of cases like that, though. So anyway, it says, uh, and this was this was off of uh, Ranker, which does the graveyard shift. Uh, and they, that's probably most of the list that I do. This is written actually just last week from Jim Rowley. Anyways, ghosts and spirits are usually the subject of campfire tales and horror movies, but occasionally... The legal system hears cases involving real-world hauntings. Obviously, modern courts aren't equipped to answer the question of whether or not ghosts are legally considered real, but a large portion of people believe that ghosts do indeed exist, about 40% of people, according to USA Today. And it still amazes me that only 40% of the people believe in ghosts. Yeah, I know. It is pretty amazing. We need a lot more people to believe so our show can grow. <laughs> We're basically targeting 40% of our audience. Oh, there you go. Well, it's, it is what it is. A belief in ghosts can cause plenty of real-world problems. The undead have been involved in several court cases in the 19th, 20th, and 21st century. Here is 10 real-life court cases that involve ghosts and how they played out. Now, I want to do something. I haven't looked at this list. Mm-hmm. I don't have a clue that there could be 10 of them. I'll tell you three that I better on the list somewhere. I think you're going to have the West Virginia spirit that we already covered. Remember her mom came in. It was the first court case ever. Mm -hmm. So I bet that one's in there. Uh, That's the Greenbrier ghost. And there was a a house in New York. There's a house in New York that... um, the, the couple sold it, or the man sold it, the people bought it, they said it was haunted and took it to court, and the courts agreed with the people that it was haunted, that they should have been told ahead of time it was a haunted. So I bet that one's in there, and then obviously the mm-hmm. the case that we just talked about. So let's go ahead. Let's All start right. with... Well, that's the end of our story. Thanks, Glass. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This one's cool. Restauranteers... Re- is that... That's not right. It's re- restaurateurs. Okay, yeah. Restaurant tours refused to move into a newly renovated building after hearing it was haunted. In 2005, the landlords who operated the historic Church Street Station train station 
and Entertainment Complex in Orlando, Florida. Good luck putting that on a T-shirt. <laughs> Continued on the back. <laughs> yeah. so, filed a $2.6 million lawsuit against two restaurant owners who refused to move into the property after learning that it was allegedly haunted. According to the lawyers of one of the restaurateurs, the owners were Jehovah's Witnesses whose religious beliefs prevented them from having any contact with undead spirits. When the landlords offered to perform an exorcism, the restaurateurs declined on the grounds that exorcisms are a Roman Catholic religious rite not compatible with their beliefs. According to one of the landlord's attorneys, I asked him if, if these were good ghosts or bad ghosts. And if they were good ghosts, why it was a, why it was a problem. Local news sources didn't report on any financial settlement or resolution for the suit. The Church Street Station is a well-known attraction for ghost aficionados and is a popular tourist spot for ghost tours. Well, how about that? I mean, I don't know how you can tell if it's a bad ghost or a good ghost. I mean, I guess I know you can, but... All I can think about is uh, um, The Wizard of Oz. Are you a good witch? Why a bad witch? (laughs) Or a sandwich? I'm going to say, oh, you beat me to it, (laughs) you turd. Would you go say that? Yes. (laughs) Dang it. You know I don't have any good lines, and you just stole that right out from under me. (laughs) Mark Twain's ghost allegedly wrote a book through an Ouija board. Oh, shoot. Damn, that had to take a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he's not the only one, because that one young lady supposedly wrote all kinds of poetry and everything that was all through. Oh. And they said that she didn't speak that way. It was in a language that she was not ever trained. I mean, it was in English, but it's just the way of speaking was so... um, perfect English that mm-hmm. she was not trained in that way and all that. I can't remember her name. Anyways. In 1917, two psychic mediums, Emily Grant Hutchins and Lola V. Hayes, published a book that they said was written posthumously by Mark Twain, who died in 1910. According to the mediums, the novel, which was titled Jap Heron, was written by Twain's ghost, and the medium spent two years transcribing it through an Ouija board. The story is set in small Missouri town and follows the Eponymous Jap Heron, a young man born into poverty who becomes wealthy with the help of an affluent couple. Twain and Hutchins had actually corresponded 15 years before the book was published. In one of his letters, Twain made a note to himself that read, Idiot! Must preserve! <laughs> At the time, publishing books that were supposedly written by ghosts were relatively an uncommon phenomenon, or a, rel- a relatively common phenomenon, I'm sorry. A New York Times review of the novel noted that three similar books had come to print recently. However, the year after the book was published, Twain's daughter, Clara Clemens, sued Hutchins and Hayes to prevent the book from being published. The two authors agreed to cease publication and destroy all existing copies. Whoa. After all that, and they couldn't do anything with it. Right. The Ghostbusters ruling states that you must disclose a house haunting when selling a property. This would be the one case. In the early 90s, two New York City real estate developers named Jeffrey and Patrice Stambowski they purchased a home in Nyack, New York that belonged to Helen Ackley. First of all, that is one hell of a sentence for me to get through with all these words. Yeah. Kudos. We've had a Nyack, a, an Ackley, a Stambowski. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Stambowskis were unaware that the house had long had a reputation for being haunted, despite the fact that Ackley had published accounts of the ghostly occurrences three times 
between 1977 and 1989, including one in Reader's Digest. According to Ackley, the house was inhabited by three ghosts, a naval lieutenant from the American Revolutionary War and a couple from the 19th century. But Ackley never told the Stramboskis about the hauntings. When they discovered the house's history, they sued Ackley for fraudulent misrepresentation and asked for the contract to be rescinded. In 1991, the New York Supreme Court heard an appeal of the case. The court ruled that Ackley wasn't liable for damages, but also decided that because a haunting can't be determined by a home inspection, the Stromvalskis didn't have to honor the contract either. The case, Stromvalski v. Ackley, came to be known as the Ghostbusters ruling. It's established a precedent that if a house had been advertised as haunted, Regardless of whether it actually is or not, it's legally considered to be haunted. That's crazy. So because this lady had written three accounts, mm-hmm. one for Reader's Digest and other things, saying that it was haunted, then the house is haunted. Yeah. Whether it is or not, right. you said it was, and therefore it is. That sounds crazy. I know. Would you ever think of something like that would be something like that? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, I mean, well, I don't I mean think, you know I don't what think I'm saying. I do. Yeah, you do. <laughs> Yeah, you do. Like, that would be a thing, I guess is what I'm trying to say. No. Okay. Mm. All right, guys, we love you. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye. We'll finish the list up tomorrow. Okay, bye. Hey, guys, welcome to episode 1063. (laughs) (laughs) Do it different every day. (laughs) Next one would be Roman numerals. Yeah. X, X. (laughs) Hey, guys. I'm giddy. Sorry. All right, so we're going to pick up where we left off yesterday. We've got a few more of these cases to cover that were uh, ghosts involved in court cases. So here we go. An author was sued for sharing a haunted farmhouse legend. In late 2009, an Ohio court heard a case involving the Staley Mill Farm, which is located near Dayton, Ohio. Oh, new place to check out. All right. According to local legends, years earlier, the farm's owner, one old man Staley. You know what would make this better if I turned off the lights and just held a flashlight up to my face? (laughs) Old man Staley murdered his entire household, including his family, servants, and himself with an axe. Um, how do you kill yourself with an axe? Just hit yourself in the face? Maybe it was an axe um, body spray, because that, some of that stuff stinks. Well, if you ain't dumb. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's horrible. Well, I mean, you could you could kill yourself with an axe pretty easily. I mean, it would take a heck of a swing. You wouldn't make sure you do it right the first time, because... Oh, God, I don't want to think about it. The story was written up in a book called Weird Ohio, which I believe I have. In the book, the authors claim motorists driving down nearby Staley Road had experienced unseen forces, which caused them to lose control of their vehicle and swerve. Now, the lawsuit accused the book's authors of inspiring curious tourists to trespass on the property looking for ghosts. The court ultimately dismissed the lawsuit, noting that Weird Ohio included a disclaimer warning that many of the locations described in the pages were located on private property and visiting them would amount to trespassing. <laughs> As so, the cops are in the background. Oh, yeah, definitely. 
don't know. Some of these things shouldn't even go to court. I mean, I, I mean, I know like the people from Amityville get tired of people coming to around their house, but you have to know that stuff when you buy that house. That there's always going to be people. Well, coming you would by. think they would know that, but I could see where it would get old. Warner Brothers was asked to prove that ghosts are real. Sometimes ghosts can even become involved in copyright disputes. In 2016, Gerald Brittle, author of the 1980 book The Demonologist, which details the case files of legendary paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren, sued, brother, sued Warner Brothers for $900 million over the Conjuring franchise. Holy cannoli. According to Brittle's lawsuit, when he signed an agreement with Lorraine in 1978 to write The Demonologist, it included an exclusive no-compete clause that forbade anyone from making derivative works based on the Warren's cases without Brittle's approval. Brittle's lawsuit also claimed that he, when he sent Warner Brothers a ceased and desist letter, the company responded that it was basing the movie not on the demonologist, but on historical events. Brittle's lawsuit challenged Warner Brothers to either prove that the hauntings and the demonologist had really happened, or fork, fork over nearly a billion dollars. A year after the lawsuit, Warner Brothers settled with Brittle rather than attempting to prove the hauntings in the Warren case were actually true. I wonder how much she settled for. I don't know. Damn, I bet it, it wasn't $900 million. Well, I bet it wasn't either. I mean, that would, how would you like to write a book in the late 70s, and then all of a sudden, what are we looking at? Uh, almost 30 years later... These movies come popular and like, you know what? I didn't have to do any extra work, but I bet I can place a lawsuit and get a boatload of money. Mm -hmm. And I guarantee he made way more off of it than he did that book. Oh, I'm sure. Definitely. So, good thinking on his part. Yeah. I will give him an A for effort. <laughs> All right. The People's Court made a judgment on the haunting of a Tom's River home. In 2012, a couple in Tom's River, New Jersey, Jose Chinchilla and his fiancée, Michelle Callan, sued their landlord for $2,500 because their new apartment was allegedly haunted. The couple vacated their home just a week after moving in because they allegedly experienced several strange phenomena. Phenomena. I'm done. Like unexplained <laughs> footsteps, flickering lights, and door slamming. The couple and their landlord, a dentist named Richard Lopez, agreed to take their case on the people's court. Dun, 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 dun. That's not how it goes. Don don. Well, which one was I doing? Don don don. That's people's court. Get it right. Well, I was doing something. I don't know what. I don't it know went what to. the heck he was doing. I thought you were just making up crap. <laughs> Ultimately, Judge Marilyn Milan ruled in favor of the defendant, ruling that it was beyond the purview of the court to determine if an apartment is haunted. The judge ordered the plaintiffs to pay the defendant seven hundred and fifty dollars for breaking the lease. Breaking the lease. Breaking the lease, breaking the lease. A woman's children contested her will when they discovered that she consulted her husband's ghost. In 1985, Nebraska case, McClary v. Stull, a woman's children sued their mother, claiming that she wrote a will for her deceased husband's estate with the input of her husband's ghost. Specifically, that she'd communicated with her husband's ghost with, with the use of a planchette a wooden board with wheels that used an, in conjunction with an Ouija board. 
In the end, Nebraska's Supreme Court declined to rule on whether ghosts are real or not, but did say that the ghost can't affect court cases. <laughs> the ruling stated, Law, it is said, is of the earth earthy, and the spirit's wills are too celestial for cognizance by earthly tribunals. Could be tribunals, sorry. A position readily conceded, and yet the courts have not assumed to deny to spirits of the departed the privilege of holding a communion with those of the friends who are still in the flesh, so long as they do not interfere with the vested rights or by means of undue influence seek to prejudice the interest of persons still within our jurisdiction. So even when they're writing about ghosts, attorneys have to make everything such a legal jargon. How come they still write legal stuff today like it's the like it's the damn Declaration of Independence or something? <laughs> Shit, I, I don't know. It's all bizarre to me. <laughs> a man made a pricely investment after a medium assured him that the spirits sensed oil underground. How about that? Wow. In 1910, a Texas court ruled on a dispute between a man called Alexander and another man named Jim Nurse, who claimed to be a spiritual medium. A year before the case, Alexander had hired a worker to dig a new foundation for his house. After Alexander's wife heard strange tapping sounds, Alexander and his wife believed the ghost was trying to tell them that money was buried on the property. Nurse then claimed that he could help Alexander locate the money in exchange for $20. And this is 1910, so... With Nurse's help, Alexander was able to find $42 buried in a can, and Alexander gave Nurse 20 According to the lawsuit later that night, Nurse stole the remainder of the money. <laughs> Alexander later accused Nurse of swindling him, but since Nurse actually had found the money, the court, court ruled in Nurse's favor. Finders keepers, biatch. That's exactly what it is. Did I skip over something? I don't know, did you? Yeah, I started reading something and I went to something different. Sorry. Well, what the hell, Jerry? A man made a pricey investment after a medium assured him that the spirits had sensed oil underground. I know everybody's probably like, oh. what the hell are you talking about oil? And then you brought up $42 in a can. <laughs> well, my, my computer page jumped and I didn't realize that it was. <laughs> the 1919 case of Birchell versus uh, Hermsmeyer in Fort Worth, Texas, originated when an investor named H.C. Hermsmeyer gave Bell M. Birchell owner of the Fort Worth Oil Development Company, $10,000. We thought we thought $20, $20 was a lot back in 1910. Ten yeah. years later, this guy's given $10,000. Hermsmeyer made the investment based on Birchall's claim that the ghost told her via a psychic that the oil was located underneath her land. When no oil was discovered, Hermsmeyer took Birchall to court to try to recoup his investment. The court originally ruled in favor of Hermsmeyer, but a 1924 appeal reversed the ruling, declaring that the existence of ghosts is a matter of belief, not fact. Therefore, the existence of oil in a valuable quantities beneath the land in question could not form a basis for belief for the plaintiff. I mean, I wonder if you have, as the person going to sue over that, they have to have a big conversation with themselves about, okay, this is going to sound stupid, but... I really want to sue because a ghost said this and it didn't happen or whatever. Well, but their point their point is not that a ghost said this, that a man told them the ghost said well, this. Yeah, so but that still. one is flat on him. Mm -hmm. Now, if it had been somebody, you know, who you going to sue? 
Ghostbusters. Who you gonna Who you gonna sue if it's a ghost that actually comes to you? Can't sue the ghost. Right. Right. So that wouldn't happen. Last one. So apparently, two of the ones that I would have thought would have been here is not gonna be here. And we had an Ed and Lorraine Warren one, but it wouldn't the, the one you thought. It wasn't the most famous one or the first one. <laughs> Spirit, so way to get everybody's hopes up. Spirits were said it. to... Well, that's proof that I didn't pre-read it. Spirits were said to have guided a medium to buried money. All right, I read that one. Oh, my God. A woman, <laughs> but that's the headline that you didn't get a minute ago. The last one. A woman allegedly conjured spirits to cure a man's illness. In 1876, a woman from Florida named E.G. Magruder approached a dying man named John Roberts and claimed that she could cure his illness by conjuring spirits and reciting incantations. Roberts said Magruder, or Roberts gave Magruder a promissory note for $250, but he died a few weeks later. Well, she should have got the cash, I'm telling you right now. Yeah, yeah. In 1883, attorneys for Roberts sued Magruder, claimed that she extorted the note from Roberts, who allegedly had the agreement when he wasn't of sound mind or body. The Magruder's attorneys argued that Roberts was fully aware of the nature of her claims and hadn't been extorted. The court originally ruled in Magruder's favor, but reversed the decision on appeal. So Seems like a lot of reversal going on there. Of course. Because somebody down the road said, well, this is stupid. Yeah. So. Okay. I guess that ends it. Good. So. <laughs> we'll talk to you guys tomorrow. <laughs> Bye, guys. Hey, guys, if you like what you just heard, we do six of those small bonus episodes every single week. We also do two full-length bonus episodes every month. We do a listener stories episode and then a story that's just, just like the ones you would typically hear on the regular feed. If you're interested in supporting us on Patreon, just go to patreon.com and look up Hillbilly Horror Stories or go to hillbillyhorrorstories.com and there's a direct link right there. Thank you guys so much for what you do for us.